you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We are now continuing with Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome again to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. And that is, in fact, what today's show is going to be about. Last week, I had the great uh, pleasure and honor of being invited to give a a three-day mission at the Cathedral of Cheyenne, Wyoming. And uh, if there are any Wyomingites out there, it was a real treat to go to Wyoming for the first time in my life, come back with a cowboy hat and wonderful uh, memories of the wonderful Wyomings I met. And one of the nights I gave a talk which was about the transition of Judaism into the Catholic Church, and it was kind of centered on Romans chapter 11, which is really the mother load of theology, to address the mystery of the interaction between Jew and Gentile in the Church. So uh, rather than reinventing the wheel, I thought it would be very fruitful to uh, play uh, an extract from that talk. And, um, but I'll be here. And so my plan is to play an extract from the talk, and I will also take calls, take callers, and uh, if there are any callers that come in, I plan on taking a break about halfway through the hour to um, take any calls. So if you wish to call with a question or a comment, perhaps if you do so around um, just before the halfway mark of the hour, I will stop the, uh, the recording, the playback or whatever and be prepared to look at the call screen and see if any callers have come, any calls have come in. So without further ado, um, I will go to the, to the recording. Uh, this was from last week in uh, Cathedral of St. Mary, Cheyenne, excuse me, Cheyenne, Wyoming. So let's, let's uh, roll it. Hi, uh, thanks, thanks for coming, or thanks for coming back. Tonight's talk is uh, going to revolve around, as I said the very first night, that the Catholic Church and Judaism are not really two separate religions as much as they are two phases of the same plan for salvation. A first phase to enable the incarnation of the second person of God as man, the Most Holy Trinity as a man, and then a second phase to spread the fruits of that salvation for all mankind throughout the world. And um, th- that's why um, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think I betrayed anything. You know, I, I spent 25 years in Boston, and if I became a Yankees fan, then I would have been a traitor. But I don't think I, I became a traitor by going from being Jewish to entering the Catholic Church because I went from being uh, a Jew who had kind of missed the boat about what the purpose of Judaism was to a Jew who actually followed Judaism through the transition that it always intended and became a follower of the Jewish Messiah. You know, hardcore Jews today think of themselves as followers of the Jewish Messiah, but they reject Jesus because they don't recognize that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Being right about who Jesus being the Jewish Messiah didn't make me stop being Jewish or make me being a traitor, make me be a traitor to being Jewish. So anyway, I mentioned that the first night. Let me just start tonight with reading a few quotes from other Jewish Catholics just to show that um, I may be eccentric, but I'm not unique in it. And in fact, this is the experience of every Jew I've ever heard of who's entered the Catholic Church. Uh, the chief rabbi of Rome, by the way, during World War II, chief uh, chief rabbi Israel Zoli became entered the Catholic Church after the war. He became an extremely um, passionate uh, entrant or convert into the Catholic Church. He was also, by the way, a close friend of Pope Pius X. He was such a close friend of Pope Pius X that he took the name Eugenio as his baptismal name, which is the first name of Pius X. Anyway, he said... Christianity is the integration, completion, or crown of the synagogue, for the synagogue was a promise, and Christianity is the fulfillment of that promise. Uh, Cardinal Lustiger, who was the Cardinal Archbishop of Paris 
until he died in uh, 2007. He was also a Jewish convert. And um, here's a quote from him. I explained to my father that baptism would not make me abandon my Jewish condition. Quite the contrary. It would lead me to find it, to receive the fullness of its meaning. I did not have the feeling that I was betraying my heritage or abandoning anything whatsoever. Just the opposite. I felt that I was going to find the import, the meaning of what I had received at birth. I did nothing more than begin to enjoy the heritage that had been promised to me. Christianity is the continuation of Judaism. Christianity is the fruit of Judaism. Until the Messiah is coming in glory, the Jew remains, and he remains a Jew, whether he is in the church or not. I'll talk about that more near the end of uh, this evening. Um, okay, Arthur Kleiber, he's in, he's in uh, Honey from the Rock, but I didn't mention him last night. He's, he's a, a contemporary. He probably died uh, maybe about 20 years ago. My baptism was followed by an intense interior joy which defies description. A Jew has be- who has become a Christian loves his people more than ever. He wishes for them with all his heart the saving faith which he himself has received. Completed Jews have become what all Jews expect to become when the Messiah arrives. And finally, and I'll, I'll end this little thing with her, uh, Rosalind Moss, who's now known as uh, Mother Miriam of the Lamb of God. Some of you may be familiar with her from Catholic Radio or EWTN. Um, in the fullness of Judaism, which is the Catholic Church, I have all that God has given in giving us his church, the sacraments, the communion of saints, and the Jewish mother of the Jewish Messiah. Christianity is not a Gentile religion. It is a Jewish religion that was given to encompass the entire world and every soul in it. Can we love the Jewish people and withhold from them knowledge of the very deliverer they gave to the world? So that's by way of a preface of tonight's talk. Um, And uh, um, uh, I don't know whether I should do this, whether whether I should give like a... Uh, I'll give a a four-minute synopsis of something I said the first night, which is the role of Judaism in the first half of salvation history between the Garden of Eden and the coming of Christ. And I have my watch in front of me, so I'll try to make it four minutes. Uh, Because I I did this uh, a little bit the first night. So basically, here's the story. The story is that when God originally created man, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, he created him to live in a state of uninterrupted bliss and intimacy with God for all eternity, right? No death, no suffering, um, no pain, even no work, and so forth. When man chose sin, to chose to sin, that original exalted relationship between God and man was shattered and man fell. But God knew at a very moment that not only would he restore man to that original exalted state at some point in the future, but would actually elevate him to an infinitely higher state through the incarnation of the second person of the most holy trinity as a man at a future point in time. If the second person of the Most Holy Trinity was going to incarnate at a future point in time, it would be among a particular people in a particular place in the world uh, at a particular point in time and even in the womb of a particular virgin. And that people would have to be prepared. They would have to be separated out from all the other people wandering the face of the earth and kept separate for about 2,000 years to receive a tremendous amount of divine revelation, to know about the one true uncreated creator God, to know about the creation of man, the fall of man, the uh, seriousness of sin, the need for redemption, the future coming of a redeemer, and so forth. They would have to be given enough background in theology to understand what was happening. They would have to be uh, given enough prophecy to recognize the redeemer when he came. And they would have to be raised up to a state of morality sufficient so that they could produce a virgin of such purity and nobility that she could give her flesh and blood to be the flesh and blood of God when he became man. And that's, first of all, you guys all know, that's the Blessed Virgin Mary, right? And um, that is what the Jews were chosen for. And and somebody had to do that. If you think of of the whole 
plan of the second person of the Most Holy Trinity incarnating, of course a people had to be chosen and had to be prepared. Now, you could ask, why on earth did God choose the Jews? There's an old uh, ditty, how odd of God to choose the Jews. Um, And uh, God himself gives us the answer in Genesis, at least one reason why he chose the Jews. It's It's in Ezekiel. Um, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your father was an Amorite, your mother was a Hittite. On the day you were born, your navel string was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor swathed with bands. And when I passed you by and saw you weltering in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Your beauty was made perfect through the splendor which I had bestowed on you, says the Lord God. So God is comparing the Jewish people to an infant who was considered so worthless that it was discarded after birth, not even washed of the afterbirth. And God came along and, and raised up this infant and washed it off and raised it and clothed it in silk and jewels and so forth until it became a, a creature of splendor. So he's saying that precisely to point out to the Jews that you, you can lay credit to nothing. There was nothing special about you. I chose you because you were the most worthless and insignificant of people. And in fact, as Catholics, we know that that's who God chooses for his extraordinary graces, right? We know Bernadette of Lourdes was illiterate when the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to her. The children at Fatima, um, and so forth. And, and, and St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, who received the... Uh, apparition of the divine heart, the, uh, excuse me, the sacred heart apparitions, um, she asked Jesus at one point, she said, why me? Why did you choose me for this honor? And Jesus said, that's very simple. If I could have found anyone else more worthless and insignificant than you, I would have chosen her instead. <laughs> so that is, that is um, you know, the Jews were chosen to bring salvation to all of mankind through the incarnation of God as man, but not because of any merit or, or virtue of their own, but simply because they were insignificant and so forth. Um, however, um, well, there are two ways to look at this. Okay, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just jump forward, I guess, which is, um, yeah, I'll just make an abrupt transition. What the heck? Um, okay, why should a Catholic be interested in the Old Testament? Why should a Catholic be interested in Judaism and the Jews? And there are a lot of different answers to that. One is that, um, uh, as I will close tonight's talk with, the Second Coming can't happen until there's a conversion of the Jews. So that's a pretty good reason to care about the conversion of the Jews. But in fact, seen through the eyes of Christianity, the story of the Jews in the Old Testament is an incredibly beautiful picture of God's, you could say, prophecy of salvation history to come, a foreshadowing of salvation history to come. And this begins with the very, very, very beginning of the Jewish people. (laughs) I I wish this was a classroom and I could ask, okay, who was the first Jew? Somebody shouted out. Abraham. Is that what I heard? I'll pretend I heard Abraham. I, I didn't... Didn't hear it clearly. <laughs> yes, Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. The promise that God made um, to Abraham and his descendants forever was the institution of Judaism and the institution of the Jewish people. Now, what did Abraham do to, um, to earn, earn this promise, to get this promise? It's not a coincidence that the cover of my book, Salvation is from the Jews, is a picture of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. You all know the story from, from Genesis, right? I will read a, a short synopsis of that story, and then I'll, I'll talk about it. But the point that I'm making, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little um, you know, a taste of things to come, is that you'll see this incredibly beautiful parallel between the birth of Judaism and the birth of Christianity that shows that, in some sense, I don't want to say they're mirror images of each other, but that Judaism was a foreshadowing of Christianity. So let me read the story from Exodus. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, Abraham replied, here I am. God said, take your only son, your only beloved son, Isaac, whom you love, 
and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took his son Isaac and went to the place God had told him. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on the shoulders of Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they both went together up the mountain. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, I see the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice, my son. When they came to the place God had told them, Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar bound upon the wood. Then Abraham put forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. The angel said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you, and I will multiply your descents as the stars of heaven, and your seed shall possess the gate of your enemies, and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. That final line, in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, was always understood in Christianity and Judaism as the promise that God made to Abraham to send the Messiah through his descendants. Uh, now, the, the mountain which was called the Mount Moriah in the Old Testament, um, anyone know where it is? Jerusalem. Did I hear Jerusalem? Or do I have to pretend I heard Jerusalem? <laughs> yeah, it's in Jerusalem. And the mountain where uh, Mount, Mount Calvary, Mount Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. Anyone know where that is? Yes, of course, Jerusalem. And in fact, there are two names for the same mountain. If you go to Jerusalem, you can go to the spot where Abraham bound Isaac. It's on the Temple Mount. And you can walk 500 yards down the same mountain ridge to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where Jesus was crucified. As Abraham laid the wood for Isaac's sacrifice, his only beloved son's sacrifice, on his shoulders and led him up the mountain and bound him to the wood. God laid the wood for, um, on the shoulder for his sacrifice on the shoulders of his only beloved son, Left, led him up the very same mountain and bound him to the wood. When, when Isaac said, I, I see the wood and the fire, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? When Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice, my son, he was speaking prophetically far more deeply than he knew because God himself did provide the lamb for the sacrifice, the true sacrifice, who is Jesus. The entire picture of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac was a picture in advance of the true sacrifice which would bring redemption to all of mankind. The, the lamb that was, the ram that was caught in, a, in the thicket by its horns, which is offered as a temporary substitute, was the first Jewish sacrificial lamb, to which every subsequent Jewish sacrificial lamb pointed. Every Jewish sacrificial lamb from that point on simultaneously pointed back to the lamb that was substituted for Isaac and forward to the true lamb of sacrifice, who is Jesus. And you all know, of course, that Jesus is called over and over and over again, the lamb of God, behold the lamb of God, who comes to take away the sins of the world. So you can see how the entire, the entire story, so to speak, of the birth of Judaism was a foreshadowing of the story of the birth of Christianity. Does that make sense? And I, I'm, I'm only going to go, you know, I, I have... You know, I have an hour here, and um, there's, there's, you know, there, literally, of course, there's material for 20 hours here. So what I'm trying to do is just give a little, 
a little like, uh, you know, like one of those uh, appetizer tables of, you know, you take a, what are they called, tapas or something, you take a little bite of this and a little bite of that and a little bite of that. Um, so, but I'm going to give another little tapa in the same realm of foreshadowings in Judaism, which is the central, okay, actually both of these are really important to do, and you'll, I hope I'll remember to point out why when I get to the end. Um, the the central event in Judaism is the exodus from Egypt. The um, central liturgy in some ways, only in some ways, but in some ways in Judaism, is the Passover Seder. The celebration of the Passover Seder, which is a commemoration of the exodus from Egypt. The uh, celebration of the Passover Seder is so important and so serious that it says in the Old Testament that if any Jew fails to celebrate the Passover Seder and eat of the Paschal Lamb, of the Lamb that's offered at the Passover Seder, he will lose his share in the world to come. He loses his membership among the Jewish people. That's how central the Passover Seder is. You stop being a Jew if you don't celebrate the Passover Seder and eat of the Passover sacrifice. Now, the Passover Seder, as I said, commemorates the exodus from Egypt. What happened in the exodus from Egypt? Okay, the Jews were slaves of the Pharaoh in Egypt. God raised up a deliverer, Moses, to free the the Jews from Pharaoh. Um, Moses performed a series of miracles before Pharaoh, and finally he let them go. And uh, as they were fleeing uh, from, from the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh changed his mind and sent the army after them. The Jews reached the shores of the Red Sea. They were trapped. They were about to be killed. When the, shore, uh, the Red Sea parted miraculously, the Jews crossed the Red Sea. Then the waters came back. It drowned the Pharaoh's army. Then the Jews found themselves in the desert. So they were wandering the desert for 40 years. They obviously ran out of food to eat. God gave them manna from heaven, the miraculous bread from heaven, to sustain them in the desert in their wandering. They wandered the desert for 40 years until they finally made it to the promised land, to Israel, to the old Jerusalem. Now, that picture was seen from the very first of the church fathers, the the saints who literally learned the faith from the apostles. Because remember, the entire, almost the entire church in those days were Jews. That's not strictly true, but it's close to true. Um, obviously, the first pope was a Jew. Um, the, the first, um, certainly the first 5,000 Christians were definitely Jews, but a high percentage of the early Christians were Jews. In fact, and I'll get to this near the end of my talk, the first crisis in the early church was Um, It it required the first church council, the Council of Jerusalem in 51 AD, to decide what was the question that was a great crisis in the early church. It was, are we we to allow non-Jews into the church, or is the church only for Jews? Literally. You'll find that in the book of Acts, chapter 15. Literally. Are we allowed to let non-Jews into the church, or is it only for Jews? You can see where this mistake came from, right? Because Jesus was a Jew. The apostles were all Jews. The 3,000 who came in at Pentecost Sunday were all Jews. So anyway, the, the church fathers had a very, had a very clear, uh, like, um, how can I put it? They saw the light of Christianity in a, in, a, in a light that was very rooted in the Old Testament in Judaism. So since their day, they always saw the story of the Exodus from Egypt as a parable of Christianity. The Jews' slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt was a picture of, of humanity's slavery to the power of Satan. The um, raising up Moses to be their deliverer was obviously a picture of raising up Christ to deliver humanity. The Jews were freed from the power of Satan by what? By passing through the waters of the Red Sea. That was a picture of passing through the waters of baptism, which free you from the chains of Satan, right? Then the Jews wandered through the desert for 40 years on the way to the Promised Land. That was a picture of the Christian wandering through the 40 or 80 years of this life on the way to the true Promised Land, of course, heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem, not the earthly Jerusalem. And what sustained the Jews during those 40 years in crossing the desert? The miraculous bread from heaven 
the manna in the wilderness, which of course was a picture of the Eucharist. And no one less than Jesus himself, of course, in John 6, makes it very clear that the manna in the wilderness was a picture of the Eucharist. I'll, um, uh, in John 6, he said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, but they died nonetheless. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Do you see? So the whole, the whole central event in, in Judaism was in, its, was in itself, in its, in its entire body, a picture of the coming of Christianity. Now, um, I'm going to just skip to the end here because I want to get on to kind of another topic. But um, the, the entire story in, of, of the Exodus from Egypt was a picture of Christianity to come in Christianity. Among Jews, the entire picture of the story from the Exodus from Egypt is a picture of the coming of the Messiah. This is in Jewish theology, 100% kosher Jewish theology. It's so deeply rooted in Jewish theology that Jewish theology states that when the Messiah comes, he has to come on Passover because Moses was the first redeemer of the Jewish people and the Messiah will be the true redeemer of the Jewish people. So since the first redeemer, who is a picture of the true redeemer, came on Passover, the true redeemer, the Messiah, is going to have to come on Passover. There's a reason why Good Friday had to happen on Passover, okay? Because, because the, entire, the entire story of Judaism, so to, so to speak, um, made, came to a crescendo with the coming of Christ, and that crescendo was foreshadowed in the story of Passover and in the Passover celebration. There are so many parallels. Just... I don't want to push this too hard. I don't want to offend anyone, especially, you'll see what I, where I'm going. But as I said earlier, if a Jew doesn't eat of the Passover lamb, he loses his salvation. He loses his share in the world to come. Does that mean that if a Christian doesn't eat, of, doesn't consume the Eucharist, he loses his salvation? Of course not. But, but participating in the Eucharist is the ultimate gift of participating in salvation. Everywhere you look, uh, even even uh, manna, the manna in the wilderness, the in, in the Talmud, which is which is hardcore Jewish theology. I don't know if any of you know what the Talmud is, but it's basically it's like it's like um, the magisterium. It's like the written down magisterium of the Catholic Church for Judaism. The Talmud asks the question: When the Messiah comes, will um, will manna resume? And the answer is yes, after the Messiah comes. There's no manna in this age, but after the Messiah comes, the manna will resume. And most interestingly, in the Talmud, it asks the question, it says, well, all the sacrifices in the temple have ceased, right? They ceased in 70 AD with the destruction of the temple. Um, there are, in the Old Testament, there are lots of sacrifices. There's the wave offering, there's the blood offering, there's the sin offering, there's the thanksgiving offering. The, the Jewish theology asks, after the Messiah comes, will the offerings resume? The answer, no, the only offering which will resume after the Messiah comes is the thanksgiving offering. What's Eucharist mean? Thanksgiving. So anyway... Okay, I'm going to have to switch chapters or, or, or tapa dishes or something to something else. Um, but um, <laughs> where? Okay. Okay, well, I'm going to break in for a moment now because we are halfway through. And this is a live call-in program. So um, what should I do? Because I don't think there are any... Um, any calls on the call board right now, but if you wish to call in, the number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. And um, so I invite callers, and uh, if you wish, if you do call in, if you call in in the next five minutes or so, I'll uh, keep an eye on the call board and I will try to be prepared to um, take your call when it comes in. And until then, 
I suppose I will go back and continue with the with the uh, recording. But as I said, I'll be be willing to interrupt it to take a call or two. So if you have any questions or comments, I know that that was a lot that came hot and heavy, came kind of fast, and it was pretty dense material. But I hope you um, I hope you've been enjoying it. And just wait for what's coming now, which I'm switching over to Romans 11. So, again, this is Roy Shoman. You're listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria, the show that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church. And you're listening to a talk I gave last week at the Cathedral of St. Mary in Cheyenne when I basically outlined the role of uh, Jews and Judaism in salvation history. So with that, let's go back to the talk. Um, okay, so okay, so that was basically, that whole talk was kind of the role of Judaism, the relationship between Judaism and the Catholic Church leading up to the coming of Christ, you could say. So now the question is, um, what is, what, okay, the big mystery, uh, um, the big mystery is, okay, Christ came, the majority of the Jewish people rejected him, they seem to have failed, right? Their mission was to bring Christ to the world, and yet they did not receive him. So the first immediate response is to think, oh, well, they failed. Uh, a second look says they couldn't possibly have failed, because they were chosen to bring about the incarnation of Christ, and it came about. And they were chosen to spread the faith in Christ throughout the world, and it has been spread throughout the world. So by definition, they succeeded. But what about the mystery of their failure to recognize him when he came? And um, for that, I'm just going to turn... uh, I don't want to run out of time. I'm going to turn to uh, Romans 11... This is this is my imitation Protestant preacher, I guess, uh, talk of the mission, and uh, I hope I hope it's not too painful. But I want to turn to Romans 11 because Romans 11 is the most beautiful exposition of two mysteries. One mystery is why did the Jews reject Christ? And basically, look, the, the overarching uh, overarching arch you need for everything is that everything in salvation history is divine providence, okay? Nothing goes wrong. There's no plan B. There's no, oh, if only this, then, you know, things would have worked out differently or things would have worked out better. Divine providence is fully capable of taking care of everything it wants to take care of, and there's nothing it wants to take care of more than the unfolding of salvation history. I hope I'm not in trouble, Father, with that. Okay, good. So, so anyway... So um, the Jews' failure to recognize Christ, one would like to think, is actually a part of divine providence. So let me, with that backdrop, turn to uh, Romans 11. This is, of course, St. Paul speaking. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it sought? The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see, and ears that should not hear, down to this very day. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see. Okay, that's pretty mysterious, right? That certainly sounds like divine providence, right? I'll repeat those last few verses. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it sought. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see, and ears that should not hear, down to this very day. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see. Okay? That certainly sounds like this was divine providence, that this was part of God's plan. It wasn't just the stubbornness and hard-heartedness of the Jews which kept them from recognizing Jesus. It was, as St. Paul is saying, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see and ears that should not hear, and so forth. Fortunately, St. Paul goes on to explain why God did this. So I ask, have they stumbled so as to fall? By no means. But through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, 
and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? For their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Okay, so again, I'm going to just go through this a little bit. Have they stumbled so as to fall? By no means. Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Their trespass means riches for the world. Their failure means riches for the Gentiles. Their rejection means the reconciliation of the world. Four times in those few verses, St. Paul repeats the same thing. The, the failure of the Jews to recognize Jesus was necessary for the church to be propagated throughout the world. Right? I'm not making this up. That's one of the reasons I'm not using notes, but I'm using, you know, printed Bible. I'm not adding a word. I'm subtracting words. I'm skipping paragraphs and stuff. But I'm, I'm not adding a word. It's perfectly clear. If the Jews had all followed Jesus, the church could not have spread properly throughout the Gentile world. St. Paul will go, uh, now what's he referring to there? Why could the church not have spread uh, properly throughout the Gentile world? I think that was already kind of mentioned a little bit earlier that, you know, what was the first crisis in the church was are we allowed to let Gentiles into the church? Um, That required the the Council of Jerusalem, the very first ecumenical council, all of the apostles had to return to Jerusalem to decide this thorny issue are we allowed to let non-Jews into the church? Now, um, so because up until that point, some of the apostles, including St. Peter, by the way, thought that if a Gentile wanted to enter the church, he had to sacramentally become Jewish first, which, um, <laughs> since it requires uh, circumcision, I like to say it would have had a crippling effect on the early church. Um, But anyway, it would have had a crippling effect on the early church. It would have made it absolutely impossible for the church to spread properly throughout the world. Um, um, Now, theologically, the the problem was solved at the first church council because they decided we are allowed to let Gentiles into the church without them becoming Jews first. But practically, it was solved by the failure of the Jews to enter the church because within a few years, the church was visibly Gentile, right? Right. It couldn't look like you had to be Jewish to be in the church because half the church was non-Jewish, two-thirds of the church was non-Jewish, three-quarters of the church was non-Jewish, and so forth. But if the five million Jews around uh, Jerusalem and Judea at the time of Christ had all flooded into the church, the suggestion is that wouldn't have happened. So back to uh, Romans. Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. If their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, How much more will their full inclusion mean, okay? So if the Jews' failure to enter the church was a blessing, how much greater blessing when they enter the church? Continuing. If for their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Again, if their rejection meant the reconciliation of the world, the reconciliation of the Gentile world to God through the church, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? It will be an even greater blessing. Um, And then St. Paul goes on with his uh, central image of the olive tree of salvation. I I don't know. It's not fair for me to say, am I losing you? Is this too too academic? I used to make you laugh, and I'm not making you laugh tonight. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm doing my best, but I can't find a lot of punchlines in this. So he goes on to the central image of the olive tree, the olive tree of salvation. So you have this olive tree of salvation. It's it's planted in Judaism. The trunk is Judaism. It's a cultivated olive tree. The original cultivated olive branches were the Jews. And then he goes on to say, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in their place to share the richness of the olive tree, do not boast over the branches. If you do boast, remember, it is not you that support the root, but the root that supports you. You will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but do not become proud, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. And even the others, if they do not persist in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. 
For if you have been cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? Okay? It's pretty heavy, but it's also pretty clear. Okay? You have this olive tree of salvation. The original, it was Judaism. The original branches were the Jews. Some of them were break, broken off to make room to graft in wild olive branches. Those are the Gentiles in the church. If you're one of those grafted in wild olive branches, there might be a temptation to boast over the broken off original olive branches. You know, I was more important than you. God broke you off to make room for me. But um, if you're tempted to, don't, because if they do not persist in their unbelief, they will be grafted back in again, and when they are, they will be even better suited to the tree because they were originally a part of it. They were cultivated olive branches and not wild olive branches. Now, don't blame me. I'm just reading St. Paul. But, but that is, you see this picture that's emerging and I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the picture that's emerging is that salvation first came to the Jews, then the Jews were put off to the side, and the Gentiles were brought in. And then when after the Gentiles are brought in, the Jews will be brought back in again, and then the, ch- the church composed of Jew and Gentile will be ready for the second coming. And it will be... I hate to say this, but I'm just taking it from St. Paul. It will be better because it's composed of Jew and Gentile, right? If their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? In that verse I just read. Now St. Paul is about to make what I just said uh, explicit. I'm not making any of this up. (laughs) Lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brethren, A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles come in, and so all Israel will be saved. Again, the plan is first the Jews, then no Jews, the Gentiles, then Jews and Gentiles, and then the second coming. Um, As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So again, I'll just read that first clause. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. As regards the gospel, they're enemies of God, right? They rejected Christ. They rejected the gospel. But it's for your sake. It's for the sake of the Gentiles. St. Paul saying, again, not me. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So the election of the Jews still continues. Um, St. John Paul II brought this front and center, right? Um, when he said, you know, anyway, I don't want to go down there now. For the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Just as you, now, I don't want to say listen carefully, but this is, this is really the money quote that explains why God arranged things this way. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy. For God has consigned all men to disobedience that he may have mercy upon all. Okay? I'll just go through that. Just as you were once disobedient to God. um, In other words, the Gentiles were out of relationship with God when Christ came. That's what he means by disobedient to God. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy, have come into relationship with God, because of their disobedience, because of the Jews' failure to follow Christ. So they have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also receive mercy. For God has consigned all men to disobedience, that he may have mercy upon all. In other words, when Christ came, the Jews were in relationship with God. If they had immediately entered the church, they would not have passed through a period of being out of relationship with God period of disobedience. They would have entered the church saying, ha ha, aren't we wonderful? This is no more than we deserve by being so faithful. And you see this attitude in the New Testament, right? The Gentiles, that wasn't a danger because they didn't know God and all of a sudden they knew God, so they knew it was a sovereign act of the mercy of God. 
but the Jews also had to be taught that it was, would be a sovereign act of the mercy of God. So they had to pass through a period of disobedience so that when they entered the church, it would be obvious to them also that it was a sovereign act of the mercy of God and nothing they could possibly have earned or deserved. As St. Paul said, God has consigned all men to disobedience that he may have mercy upon all. God wanted salvation to be a sovereign, free act of mercy undeserved by anybody, and so everybody had to come into it from a position of disobedience. The Gentiles were came into it, they were out of relationship with God, so they, there wasn't a danger there. The Jews were in relationship with God, so there was a tremendous danger there, so they had to be drawn through a period of disobedience so that when they came in, uh, they would know also it was a sovereign act of the mercy of God. Now, I'm going to put a little needle in here. There's another line in here, another clause in here, which is extremely interesting. Um, you were once disobedient to God, the Gentiles. Remember, there's the letter to the Romans, by the way, so it might as well be called the letter to the Gentiles, because that's what Romans mean in this context. Um, just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience. In other words, the Gentiles owe the mercy they've received to the Jews. They now, so now, they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy. In other words, as salvation came to the Gentiles through the Jews, God wants salvation to come to the Jews through the Gentiles. Okay? And if anything is going to bring about the conversion of the Jews that's needed for the second coming, it's not going to be me preaching to synagogues. It's going to be the prayers of good Catholics. Because that's God's plan, right? I'll just repeat that. So that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy. And I'll, I'll go back to a, another line that I skipped over. I, I didn't skip over it, but I read it quickly because I wasn't going to stop there at the time. Um, Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Okay? It's what I said last night. The way that you evangelize a Jew is make them jealous of what you have in the church. Amen? Amen. Okay. Okay, well, I'm back live here, and um, there weren't any any calls, which is fine because I was on a roll, so it made me just as well not to have, have stopped the momentum. But uh, wow, okay, so so a lot came hot and heavy there, um, but uh, I think it's pretty important stuff. And, uh, by the way, it's on my YouTube channel, the video from that, um, that parish mission, Cheyenne. So if you look for Cheyenne, as a matter of fact, if you just look on YouTube for Roy Showman, S-C-H-O-E-M-A-N, Cheyenne, C-H-E-Y-E-N-N-E, I'm sure you'll find that video if you want to, if you want to go through it a little bit more slowly. And since it was all an exhortation to pray for the conversion of the Jews, uh, let me close the show with a 100% kosher prayer for the conversion of the Jews from the Catholic Breviary for Day 6 of the Week of Christian Unity. In the uh, older version of the Catholic Breviary, Day 6 was dedicated to praying for the conversion of the Jews. And here is the prayer straight from the Catholic Breviary for Day 6. O God, who manifests your mercy and compassion towards all peoples, have mercy upon the Jewish race from the outset, your chosen people. You selected them alone out of all the nations of the world to be the custodians of your sacred teachings. From them you raised up prophets and patriarchs to announce the coming of the Redeemer. You willed that your only Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, should be a Jew according to the flesh, born of a Jewish maiden in the land of promise. Listen to the prayers we offer you today for the conversion of the Jewish people. Grant that they may come safely to a knowledge and love of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah foretold by their prophets, and that they may walk with us in the way of salvation. Amen. 
And uh, if I can do the, techno- the technology correctly, let me go out with a beautiful Jewish prayer chant to, uh, to fill the last few, few seconds of this uh, is the show. And, uh, of course, it'll fade out as the, my time comes to an end. So you've been listening to Ju- Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Shoman, and I hope you join us again next week, same time. So here's the prayer chant. <laughs> Oh,